Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you for being here. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you, or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take one and give it to them. We would love for you to have God's word in your hands throughout this week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and can be found on page 1013 in those Bibles. Follow along with me as I read. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for Grace Point Church, and I thank you for this morning. Um, Just like those verses reminded us, each day is not promised, but I I thank you that today we can rest in you. uh, As you're speaking through Jason, that we can take the words that you're speaking to us, um, that we can apply it to our lives. We thank you so much, and we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and uh, find that seat again. Man, I'm a guy who likes words. Uh, Words are important to me. I think words matter. Um... Uh, and I know that might sound funny because the way I talk, you might think, I don't know if you really do like words that much because I always mean what I say, but I don't always say exactly what I mean, or at least you might need a uh, uh, translator for some of the stuff I might say because I do come from, I don't know if it's the South or the Midwest or what it is, but it's a place called Oklahoma, and it's real close to Texas, and it's, they're almost like nations of themselves, uh, their own language and all that sort of stuff. So that being said, but I, I'm learning that words can become junk drawer terms or they can take on meanings of their own. For example, all my kids are saying the word literally, and I don't th- they're not using it right. Everything's literally. Like, I was literally flying the other day. Like, I, no, no, that's not right. That's not true. But I'm not changing that. I think the definition in the dictionary might actually change within this decade at what the word literally literally means. Um, but, um, but I think of words that we use or that I use when I'm preaching a sermon, and sometimes I think, I bet everyone goes, yeah, and they think, I have no idea what he means. And one of those words would be mission. We use the word mission so much. You probably will hear the word mission and gospel and community a lot here uh, at Grace Point Church. And one of those words, mission, I just want to kind of uh, do a preacher phrase and say, unpack that <laughs> a little bit for you today. I can't believe I actually said that. I hate it when pastors say that, and I just said it. But uh, the word mission has this idea that when we work and live and play, that we do that in such a way that rolls up into glory of God and our enjoyment. And so there's a mandate called the cultural mandate, and it's rooted in Genesis 1, and I believe it's in verse, yep, verse 28, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But if we're Christians, God has called us to live a certain way, and I like to oversimplify that and say being on mission, which would mean that you vocate, 
You work in some way, in some capacity, and I'm not talking about a W-2 slip at the end of the year for taxes. I'm talking about this is like stay-home moms that are raising their kids and their husbands, okay? <laughs> this is uh, anybody who's, who's cultivating the earth and moving us forward uh, into a new decade. You know, that the world is better because we lived here and we left it better than we found it. That's what God told Adam and Eve to do, and that's the cultural mandate, and that's for all of us. The cultural mandate is found in Genesis 1.28, when God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That means tame it. Sometimes I have to tell my kids to go subdue their rooms and tame them and have dominion over that room. Um, over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens that are in there living because it's so rough, uh, but over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the cultural mandate that God has given us. If you're a Christian, he's also given us a missionary mandate, and I'll, we'll read it here in a minute, but it's for us to make disciples of all nations, teaching all the things that Jesus has taught us and baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and where James is going today is he's going to remind the, the Christians to live on mission, that they are vocating and they are making profits, they are advancing their bank accounts, but he's also reminding them, hey, you're supposed to also pray for the lost, spend time in God's word. You're also supposed to invite people back to your church. Like you should live in a way that because of the way you live your life, other people are being introduced to Jesus because of you. And so that's the missionary mandate. So if you're a Christian, we're called to the cultural mandate and the missionary mandate. And I want to just get a little Old Testament on you this morning. I don't mean I'm going to put hands on you. I just want to literally get in the Old Testament a little bit before we jump back into James. So we were in Genesis 1, and we're also going to be in Genesis 11 just to read uh, this verse and tell you about a time when mankind rebelled against the cultural mandate. God told us to go all over the earth and subdue it. And in the city that was called Babel, this is after the flood. So if you don't know this, there was a time, and, and people will ask me, like, have you ever seen the world this bad? I'm like, well, the world was real bad one time in Genesis, like Genesis 6, when God was like, I'm going to unplug the earth for 30 seconds and then plug it back in and save us, all of us, through a man named Noah. And Noah built a big boat, we call it the Ark, and through Noah's family, we rebooted, okay? And so there was a, a, a global flood, and um, everything was destroyed. It was a picture of God's wrath, and so everything below the Ark uh, experienced wrath. Everything below the waterline or in the Ark was protected, and it's a beautiful picture of how we are in Christ, and if we are in Christ, we're spared from the wrath, the flood of God's wrath that is coming for those who are not in Christ. And so uh, it's a legit thing that really did happen. It's not just metaphorical. And it sets up the city of Babel. So Noah's family rebuilds, and that's where we all come from. And eventually, as the population grew, people landed in the city, and they say this in Genesis 11:4, "'Come, let us build ourselves a city,' and a tower with its top in the heavens. Probably because of the flood. That's what I would imagine. Let's build something really tall where God will never get us again. And let us make a name for who? Ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, like God told us to do, right? So everybody wanted to gather up in one spot, have one skin tone, have one language, have one currency, one culture. Like, I don't know if we were going to be a pizza people or a fajita people 
or, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of food it was, but it was going to be one simple culture, and we're all going to stay right here. We're not going to spread out. We're not going to create different genres of music or different forms of art or different jobs. We're just going to be one thing right here, and we're going to make a great name for ourselves. Well, the rest of the story goes that Jesus comes down. This is a Christophany. This is before he incarnates into human history. And he comes down, and they confuse their language. And then people go live on different parts of the world. And that's where diversity comes from and culture comes from. And that's why you get to pick different restaurants that you want to eat at in the suburbs. And uh, glory to God, right? Uh, it's, it's a good thing. But the trouble was they didn't want to live on the mandate God had given them. It would have ruined the world. It's not what God made it for. And so as Christians, we, we can look back and see, oh, people have done this before in the Old Testament, and Jesus had to come down and fix that. We have a missionary mandate in the New Testament in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I think this is where James is going. He's writing to Jewish Christians who knew their Bible very, very, very strongly. And for even some of you, when I mention people like Noah, some of you have never even heard of Noah. And that's one of my favorite things about Grace Point Church is so many of our people, um, when they meet Jesus, uh, you didn't come here from another church. Some of you have, and that's great. But a lot of you had never been to church before or hadn't been to church since you were at a VBS or, uh, or in some kind of Catholic school when you were a kid. And it's fun getting to teach this stuff for the first time. Many of you, the first check uh, you ever wrote to any church was to Grace Point Church after Jesus saved you and your bank account, and you became generous. And by God's grace, we were grateful for that. But James is giving a warning to this church, and he's writing a letter um, to the churches at the time. James is a pastor. He's Jesus' uh, little brother. He's Jesus' half-brother because Jesus' dad is, you know, God. And James's dad is Joseph. And so... Um, James becomes a pastor after his brother raises from the dead. It changed his life. And for many of you, when you believe Jesus raised from the dead, it changed your life and everything about you. And some of you, that means that changes the way you run the construction company or it changes the way that you teach kids at school or it changes the way that you're raising your babies at home. And for James, it changed his vocation. He became a pastor. And so he writes a letter to these churches and reminds them, and I think they know very well the city of Babel and that old story, and he's also reminding them that they need to live on mission for Jesus. And so on mission is when we live, work, and play in such a way that rolls up in the glory of God, and when we use our relationships and leverage our influence and leverage our resources in such a way that points other people to Jesus that would make a disciple. So James warns them in saying this in verse 13, back in the book of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now that don't sound like a bad idea. That sounds like half the stuff that's on YouTube right now. Whether it's Grant Cordone or whoever, rich guy, poor Poor guy, rich dad, poor dad guy, or whatever. Everyone's talking about investing and making money. You're going to hear that all over the place if you, if you ever get on YouTube. But he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? James gets all philosophical here for a moment, but he always provides the answer for the rhetorical question that he asks so that we don't have to spend time figuring it out. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
And so I don't know if you've seen that since you moved to Arizona, that you know, mist that can come out of your mouth when it's cold outside. Um, but how many of you know or know what I'm talking about when it's cold outside and you can see your breath? Yeah, okay, good, all of us, because we're all from somewhere else. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why we're all here, to the glory of God. Um, but he said, yeah. That's right. I don't really didn't hear what you said, so if, that, if you weren't right, somebody will have to tell you. But, uh, um, but I'm agreeable today. I'm in a good mood. Um, but James is saying, that's your life. That's your life. And you probably heard people talk about the dash. If you go to a cemetery and you see the birth date and the uh, expiration date, I don't know what to call that, date of death. Uh, that, sounds, that sounds like a band. We are going to start a metal band, date of death. Yeah, we are. That's right. That's right. And in between is how, the way that you've lived your life. And what James is saying is, man, it, it's just a vapor. In, in the terms of human history, it's just a vapor, and it's here, and then it's gone. And he's saying, since you know that, that your life is so brief, and it's so quick, and it's so fast, and I think the older we get, the more we realize how fast it is. Like, I remember being a kid, and it took forever. I just remember going to visit relatives that I didn't enjoy their company. And it felt like, I mean, that can happen. I don't know if you know that. You can be related to people that you don't want to spend time with. But you also don't have a driver's license, and you're with your mom, and you have to do what she says. So... It seemed like an eternity sitting there forever. And then like as I got into high school, the teacher would talk and the bell would ring and I would be like, I have no idea what is going on. I just got in here. I don't know if I took a nap or, if, or what happened, but I have no idea what's happening. And then now my kids are growing like weeds and it's, it's good, but it's fast. It just goes by so fast. And so James is saying, knowing that and operating from that wisdom, what you ought to say in verse 15 if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I know that sounds cliche, and there's cliche things that we could say like, well, if the Lord lives, and something that people would say in Oklahoma was, if the Lord tarries and the creek don't rise, I will see you tomorrow. And they genuinely meant that. I thought that was the goofiest thing I ever heard. But, but if you ever lived on the other side of a creek that would rise, that's a thing, okay? Okay. Um, and the Lord has tarried, and that's why we're here, here today. Uh, but if the Lord lives, like what we should do is seek what God has for us. Uh, verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Now, at face value, what's James's deal? Here's, here's what I think he's saying. Planning without praying is functional atheism. Making these plans without uh, uh, a a dependence on God is functional atheism. I don't know that there's anyone in this room. Maybe some of you are here and you have questions and, about God and you're wondering, like, man, is this true? And uh, what are all these people gathered up here for? Um, why aren't they just playing golf or watching basketball? Um, hey, if Jesus ain't alive, that's what I would be doing. I always, I just want you to know that. Like, I would not be a pastor. I would do something else. I would not be here with you. I would be throat punching people. I would not be the guy I am, because, but because Jesus is alive, I'll give my Sunday to him, I'll give my life to him, I'll give my money to him, I'll raise my kids in his name. He's alive. My sins are forgiven. I'm made family with him. Like it's, It changes the world, the reality that Jesus is alive. If Jesus really raised from the dead, then everything he said matters and everything James is saying matters. 
And so sometimes we drift into this, this independence. It's kind of in our DNA. I don't know if you know that about us, but like our national holiday, we get together, we eat red meat, we blow stuff up, and remember the time that we broke off from another country. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. But, but we, don't, we don't associate with our creator that way. That's what Satan did, and he's bad, and we don't want to be like him. We want to be like Jesus who says, I've only come to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do what the one who has sent me told me to do. So for us to live and work and play without praying or seeking God's will for our lives is functional atheism. And what James is saying is that's boasting in our arrogance, and he's saying that it is evil. There's a way to live your life to where you're only focused in on the cultural mandate and not also the missionary mandate. There's a way to live your life that you're only thinking about your retirement account. Can you maintain your quality of life you had when you were taking a salary into your retirement? Will you still get to play as much golf? Or are you going to go? Are you going to uh, capitalize on this opportunity? Are you going to whatever it is? But it's the only thing you're thinking about is your career, your advancement, your retirement, your money, your income, your salary. Um, and there, there is a way to generate income in a way that is unpleasing to God. And so James is saying, just as you consider your bottom line, also consider your Father in heaven and ask yourself, is this the way that I should live my life? Does this glorify God? Does this make disciples with what I'm doing? And I don't by any means think that if you really love Jesus, you'd become a pastor. Or if you really love Jesus, you'd be a church planner. It's not like uh, there's tiers of those who are varsity Christians and then there's junior varsity Christians. It's not like that. God has made all of us to vocate in such a way that it would glorify him and make disciples. Disciples are made because you teach school. Disciples are made because you start businesses. Disciples are made literally because you build roads that we can drive on. You know, vocation is the mission of God. And some of us will be ministers and most of us won't. Um, but for us to plan without prayer is functional atheism. So here's a way to pray. We don't begin by putting our heads together to plan. That's what we did as a people in the city of Babel. And Jesus came down and said, no, go move over there so we can have fajitas. You go over there so we can have steak. You go over there so that we can have Kung Pao chicken. Like spread, live all over the place. Yeah, everyone's getting hungry now, right? <laughs> go live all over the place so that we can have culture and enjoy each other's culture. Okay, somebody's going to have to make the rap music. Somebody's going to have to make the country music. And in the 2000s, they're going to become the same thing. And it's going to be the weirdest thing in the world. So here is a way to pray. Uh, I ripped this off of somebody. I'm just being honest with you. I don't remember who it was. And I've been saying that a lot lately. I should strengthen my memory. Um, but I don't write a lot of stuff down. But at least I tell you that I didn't say this originally. So you can't say that I said I said this originally. But here are four ways to pray. And it's an acronym I think I used that word right, and it spells acts. There's four categories of, there's many more categories of prayer, but at least these four are ways that help me remember to pray and how to pray. Otherwise, I just start asking for stuff for Christmas in my prayers. Um, adoration, confession, thankfulness, and supplication, or supplies. Or maybe you would call that intercession when you ask God for stuff for other people. Adoration. This is what we're doing primarily today when we sing the songs that, uh, the, I think the first song we wrote, our worship leader wrote. 
And it's all about adoration and praise and worship to our creator, letting God know how splendid he is, how amazing he is. It don't ever hurt your feelings when somebody tells you how good or nice you are, does it? It Does it? I mean, <clears throat> good, good. It doesn't hurt God's feelings when we tell him that he's awesome and amazing. But but he does, you know, I really do think like if that's the only thing we do, if we always pray like God, a wonderful, amazing, eternal, you know, if, it, if our prayers become systematic theological homework, I think at some point it's like, yeah, we don't know that guy as dad. We know him from R.C. Sproul or books that we've read. We need to also know him as dad. And so we adore him in the way that we pray. That's worship and affection and praise. And then we also should spend time agreeing with God about stuff going on in our life that needs to get corrected. That's called confession. Uh, You may think confession is getting into some booth and talking to the priest. And uh, I I mean, I'm not not saying that's a completely bad idea, but that ain't what we're talking about. Uh, You certainly don't have to get coffee with me to tell me all of your deepest, darkest secret. I mean, you can, and I promise to do my best not to blog about it one day, or, you know, but... uh, But you can talk to God directly. You don't have to go through me or go through a priest because Jesus is our priest and we go through him. All of our prayers are heard by the Father because of Jesus. And that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. But there should be confession in our prayers, uh, some humility about us where we're able to agree that I'm proud or I'm insecure or I acted in you know, um, I was angry and sinned. The Bible says be angry and sin not, but I haven't really perfected that one, and maybe you haven't either, and you have to go confess. Uh, Your first confession would be with the Father. You should also pray prayers of thankfulness. If you're like me, I can get focused in on what's missing, and I'm really good at seeing what's missing or finding what the problems are or the flaws in people and Here's how you could be more tolerable if you would change, you know? Like, who, who's like that? I'm like, me and a couple of us, okay. Um, and so I can start to ask God to change things, which is prayers of supplication here in a minute, but I'll get there. But we should also thank God for our breath that we got up today, for the family that we have, for the church that we have, for the good news of the gospel. There's tons of stuff to thank God for. And you'll notice if you'll dwell on what you're thankful for, you'll be less cynical, you'll be less grumpy. People will actually answer the phone when you call them. You know, your life will change if you have an attitude of gratitude. Isn't that cliche? That's a preacher thing to say, but I believe it. If you'll have an attitude of gratitude, it will change your life. So pray in a way that worships God, pray in a way that agrees with God about when we're wrong, Pray in a way that thanks God for what is already in our lives. Thank him for what is in other people's lives so that you don't get jealous of them. And then pray prayers of supplication, which is asking God to move and to do things. Ask God to heal the womb so you can have a baby. Ask God to heal your friend who's battling cancer. Ask God to put your kids to sleep at night so that you can finally have rest. You know, like ask God for things. And then what James told us last week or the week before Rest in the answer of God. God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, or later. And rest in that. If he says later or no, you won't know the difference for for a while. But rest in it. Trust that he's a good dad, that he'll give us exactly what we need. And if there's stuff in our lives that's more crappy than happy, then we need to trust God that he knows what he's doing and somehow this is gonna squeeze glory for God out of our life. And in some way, this is gonna be for our good, even if we can't see it. Um, So that's 
That's praying. Like we should have uh, time carved out throughout the day. Um, you should have an, an attitude of prayer, like as, as you're commuting to work, as you're uh, sitting down for supper with your family or whatever it is that you're doing, build in time for you to have dependence on God through prayer. And then, of course, the planning. When we do plan, it's important to know that as we plan, the last day is the most important day. And so we don't want to just be thinking about this year we're going to make a profit. We want to think about at some point I'm going to die. And at some point I'm going to leave a legacy. I'm going to leave a blessing or I'm going to leave some bills or something. And we want to move the ball forward when it comes to vocation. We want to move the ball forward when it comes to people meeting Jesus, like we want our lives to count. We want our life to worship God and roll up into glory. So as we think about uh, the, the cultural mandate and as we think about family work and play, when we plan, we want to begin with the end in mind. And so when we, when we think about our lives, we don't just begin by putting our heads together in prayer or in planning. We put our hearts together with Jesus through prayer. Once we've laid that foundation... And then we start thinking about, who am I going to marry? Should I get married? That's a great question right there. Should I even enter someone else into this world? Um, It's a good one. You should should think about it. Um, Should I have children? (laughs) That's a good question as well. Um, What should I do with my life? Uh, What am I good at? Um, As we uh, plan for these things, family, work, and play, or as we think about church and the mission field that we're going to live in, We begin with the end in mind. We want to think about the last day. So as you're thinking about uh, you're in junior high, you're in high school, and you're, I don't know if you still call it talking or going out or dating or I don't know what, uh, you know, sometimes I'm hip to the street, sometimes I'm not at all. And on this one, I don't know what it's called, but I, I do want you to think you're not looking for somebody to go to prom with, you're looking for somebody to be buried beside. I know that's not romantic, but that's the truth. You're looking for somebody that you're thinking about retirement with, and you're thinking about, this is the grandmother to my grandchildren that I'm, that I'm looking to marry. If, you know, I was a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor when I was 16. I'm just a weirdo like that. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so as I thought about who I wanted to marry, she needed to be somebody who loved Jesus and also somebody who wants to be a pastor's wife. I was uh, at a church planner conference one day, and a guy came up to me and he's like, I feel called overseas. I'm like, oh yeah, what's keeping you from going? My wife. I'm like, really? What's the deal? She don't want to do it. And his question was, how do I convince her that this is what we're supposed to do? And I said, man, how can I convince you that this isn't what you're supposed to do? Because if it was what you're supposed to do, she would want to do it. And I know that's a hard word. But so then that was like, where am I going to find this, this wife for me? as I thought about the last day in mind, and I thought, probably not at a party on a Saturday night. I ain't saying that Christians aren't there. I'm just saying, I don't know that the category of a person I was looking for was there, because I was there sometimes, and I never met her there. But I met her at church, and I'm married to her today, and she's awesome, and she makes me, she puts up with me like nobody else does. And so uh, I gave her a new last name and a big old promise, and we've been together for all these years. And but thinking with the end in mind, and if you'll uh, question her, she'll tell you yeah, it hadn't been it hadn't been perfect, but uh, but we did begin with the end in mind. When you think about work, 
Um, when you think about the job that you're going to have, like, do you want to make that salary forever? Do you want to be in that career field forever? What do you want to do that, that adds value to your life and adds value to the city that we live in? And then, of course, you need to think about, you need to play. Like, God made the world in such a way that we should play. Like, having dominion over that stuff means, like, get out there on the water and ski or get up on the mountain and snowboard or create a, do something, go hiking, yeah, I see Bobby hiking all the time. He's all over the place, taking pictures. And so do something for fun because that rolls up into worship. You're, if you're the dad, be the captain of fun for your whole family. Just on Saturdays, we have fun whether we like it or not, okay? <laughs> have fun. That's my mom used to tell me that. We're, it's family movie night, and we're going to have fun whether you want to or not. And so she was right. So when we plan, we, we begin with the end in mind. Think about who you're going to be married to for 50 years. Think about what are you going to do with your life and would that person want to do that with their life? Think about the way you want to raise your kids. Think about um, now the church that you want to belong to. There is no perfect church. This is my favorite church, but you're going to have to use the gospel at our church. Someone will hurt your feelings at our church. It probably will be me. You know, if I was a betting man, I would bet on that at some point because I'm not Jesus. And we all together make up the body of Jesus, but Jesus is ruling and reigning over the church at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven right now. And we are all coming back to him every Sunday being like, Jesus, I agree. I really blew it this week. Or Jesus, you saved my son this week. We're going to baptize him soon or whatever it is. But we're here making a big deal about Jesus, not a big deal about ourselves, not a big deal about theology, not a big deal about politics, not a big deal about anything other than Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That is the primary thing. It is the priority, and everything else is like secondary and tertiary. I think I used that word right. And the big thing that we're going to make a big deal about is Jesus. So look for a church that makes a big deal about Jesus. If a pastor has something to say about the election or current events or all that stuff, that's, that's cool. But if that is the only thing that's talked about and Jesus is like tertiary or secondary, that ain't the place for you. That ain't where you need to be. You need to be somewhere where we, they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, not just on Easter, every single week and every single day of the year. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Good, good. That's what we aim to do. That's what, we, that's what we hope. And then also, I want you to ask yourself, where is your mission field? And you need to pick one. You may think that that's something that other people do, but I want you to think, is it your job? Is it where you work? Are those the people you're going to spend time praying for and hoping that they would meet Jesus and find a church? Is it going to be your family? Is it going to be the people you live beside? So for example, I've got friends who commute to work. They leave when the sun is not up. They come home after the sun has gone down. And it would be ridiculous for them to say, I'm going to make my mission field the street I live on because their neighbors have never met them. They, they're also wondering if someone lives there in that house, you know, because they never see anyone coming or going. That might be some of you. And so for my friends, they would say that my mission field is where I go to work. That also means that rarely do they bring someone from work to church here because they drive 45 minutes or so away. So they're always trying to take, get someone to church or maybe get a Sunday where they can bring them to a church that they've heard of over there, get them connected, and then come back here, and we'll celebrate that. But we're all called to live on that mission, to somehow use our resources, our influence, our stuff to help other people meet the Jesus who has changed our life. And then the final 
piece of this warning that James gives us in verse 17 is, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. And I like to call this the sin of being an informed disciple. This is the sin of being an informed disciple. And this is why, and sometimes we overcorrect this so much about community group at our place. But if you're in a group and you want to be in a community group, we emphasize at Grace Point Church transformation over information, uh, even over confirmation. And so there's three kinds of disciples that I have seen made, and I've made all three kinds of these disciples, and I've been all three of these kinds of disciples. One is the informed disciple. And that is whenever we open God's word, but we keep our life closed. That is usually called a Bible study. And Bible studies are fantastic. It is good to study the Bible. But what James is telling us, the more you know about the Bible, the more dangerous of a life you're living before God. Because to know what is right and to fail to do it is a sin. And some of y'all are stacking them up because your Christianity is theory and not practice. You know to be generous, yet you're greedy. You say, well, we'll build a budget next year or when there's another president or gas ain't $5 a gallon or whatever it is. When things change, we'll change. No, the Bible says that we change. That's called repentance. If we change the Bible, that's called heresy. You don't do that. That's wrong. Uh, He tells us to uh, live our life in such a way that points other people to Jesus. Some of your friends would be like, I knew you were quiet. I knew you were kind, but I had no idea you were a Christian. You know what I'm saying? We know where to pray, but do we fail to pray? We know where to um, confess sin. Do we confess or do we pretend like sin isn't in our life? And so sins of commission is whenever we go too far and we cross boundaries. Sins of omission is whenever we don't go far enough. And oftentimes the informed disciple does not go far enough. We know all about Jesus, but we're not spending time with Jesus. We know what mission is supposed to look like. Imagine if I told my kids, go clean your room, and they, are, they disappear for 30 minutes and come back. Is your room clean? No, but I, I know exactly what you said. You said, kids, go clean your room. Well, that's great. I'm glad you can quote me on that. Will you go clean your room? Imagine they disappear for 30 more minutes and come back. Is your room clean? No, but I know how to say, kids, go clean your room in Greek now. You're on to it now, right? You know, and they disappear for 30 minutes. They come back, and I'm like, hey, did you clean your room? No, but we translated this into Mandarin. (laughs) Do what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll memorize my commandments. If you love me, you'll be aware of what they say, but when you're in your 40s, you'll change. No, change now. Repent now. Believe Jesus now. People do what they believe. If you're not doing the things Jesus has told us to do, you don't really believe them, okay? You don't really believe them. We, when I don't do the things Jesus says, in that moment, I'm not really believing him. So Bible study's good. I'm not knocking Bible study. Seminary's good. That's like seminary, or you go through a book of the Bible together, all that sort of stuff. But I do want you to know you can know the Bible without the Bible knowing you. I want you to be transformed by the word of God, not just informed by the word of God. That happens when you open your Bible and you open your life. And what James is doing right now is he's writing to a group of people who are gonna read this letter and not believe James. You understand that? James is getting in their business and they're gonna go, we don't do that, I promise you. Because James is, is 
taking shots at blind spots. And so we've all got blind spots. And blind spots are not areas of our life that we know need to change, but we'll change them eventually. That's called procrastination. And we, I, I can get gold stars in procrastination. A blind spot is when someone gives you some kind of conflict or word. It might be a hard word. It might not be that hard. But it's like, hey, I see this in your life or whatever. And you're like, well, I don't see that. And if Jesus wanted me to know that, I think he'd tell me himself or whatever. Here's how it looks for me. Somebody will come to me and they'll say something and I'll think of 10 reasons why they're dumb. <laughs> and yeah, I can come up with them real quick. And then I don't listen. I, you know, you're not my coach or my mentor. Why would, why, do you, do you, leave me alone. You know, like whatever. I'm just thinking internally. I'll go home and I'll talk to my wife. And I'll say, what do you think about this? And she'll go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so my next thought is this. Everyone's against me. <laughs> so I'll sit there in my chair and think about it all evening and build a case against every one of you. <laughs> Not literally you, but whoever, you know, who... And I'll get up the next morning, and I've said this before, but it's true. It's not just a funny thing to say in a sermon. It's true. Usually with my cup of, first cup of coffee of the day, maybe I should only have one, but I have many. But with my first, I usually go, they're right. In that moment, I'll agree with God and agree with whoever is trying to love me well and point out a blind spot. And that's what James is doing. And that's why Bible study alone will not transform your life. You need to open your Bible and open your life to other people who can know you and know Jesus and help you grow closer to Jesus. You need to have friends close enough to you to be able to say, you know, you're kind of greedy. You're kind of self-absorbed. You know, you don't do things that make you uncomfortable. It seems like you're constantly seeking comfort and the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And if you're always comfortable in your circumstances, you really don't need the Holy Spirit and you're boasting in yourself and that's evil. And James just, you know, said that today in the sermon. And then you can go, or whatever you do, and then hopefully you're faster than me, you know, and you're not a 24-hour turnaround. Hopefully, by the time we take communion today, you can be like, my heart is soft, I agree with God, that that needs to change. Now, typically, we can say, I don't know how I'm going to change, and that's where friends who love us and love Jesus come into our life. So information is not the currency in Christianity. It's just not. Transformation is the currency inside Christianity. It is hearing and obeying the words of Jesus, okay? So sins of commission are when we go too far and we break commandments, and that's typically marked by rebellion. Sins of omission are when we don't go far enough in faith and following Jesus, and that's typically marked by cowardice or by laziness. And so we can agree with God today in those areas where we're afraid or those areas where, well, that would bring discomfort in my life and it would bring change. And so... The clock is red, which I said last week means we have more time, but it's been red for a few minutes. So I'm going to say we're out of time. And I'm going to ask you that if you are a Christian, if you do love Jesus and you love his word, and today James is loving you well, and I would also say, please don't shoot the messenger. I don't write the mail. I'm just handing it over to you. This, you know, I'm, I'm just conduit, so please don't fire back. Um, pray here in a minute. But, but what are the areas in your life that you need to agree with God that need to change as it pertains to sins of omission, as it pertains to um, the missionary mandate? Maybe even for some of you, it's the cultural mandate. Do you look at work as drudgery and uh, 
something that, that's a bad thing or that it's evil. It's not. Work was made by God. Work is a good thing. Maybe you need to change the way that you view work itself. Maybe you need to change your job. We can help you do that. I, I hope. I hate to say stuff we can't really do, but I hope we could. I hope we could help you find a way to vocate in a way where you're given 40, 50, so many hours a week in a way that is fresh air to you, but also glorifies God. And then also, man, if you're not a believer, this is a really good thing to be a part of. This is a real good thing to give your life to. This is a really good way to raise your kids. This is a really good way to bring joy into your life. I know everyone's looking for something to make them happy, and I hope that you live happy lives, but happiness always depends on what happens. And that means it won't always be happy. But joy is when our hearts are anchored to something more than a promotion at work, more than a vacation on a boat in the ocean, more than you fill in the blank. Christians are people who, when it's not okay, we're okay because we're looking to the sky for Christ to come and bring heaven to earth because he's alive. And if he's alive, what James says matters and sins of omission matter, but also his return matters because it's true. And so our hearts are anchored to the last day, not the next day, not hopefully our best day, but the last day. And that'll be the day that changes all days. Let's pray.